You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. Um, uh, silent night, holy night. There's just a beauty in it as you listen to it in that German the language and just the way that it's crafted and originally written and it, it kind of came upon, came into existence a little bit on accident uh, there was a young pastor who uh, was preparing for the Christmas service and there was a need to go call on a family and he went and checked on them uh, but there was a problem leading up to the service as he had been preparing the week he found out that the organ that he was going to use to play this beautiful song was broken and apparently a mouse had come and chewed up uh, the organ. Not all church mice are good mice. And so he was going and in the process of coming back from making this hospital call on someone who was sick, he has these words start to flow in his head as the snow is falling down. Unlike our rain, it was beautiful, right? Uh, getting to enjoy that silent night as he comes home. But knowing that the problem of not having an organ to join with that and trying to come up with some form of way to worship together with his congregation on Christmas Eve. It was the, the birth of this night and of this song, and it's something that has resonated throughout the rest of history. As he went back and shared these beautiful words with someone who was going to be helping him lead in the congregation and the singing that night, they came up with the music, and as time progressed, it became a favorite for this congregation, and they would sing this song, Silent Night, over and over until it became just ingrained in their culture as a church because they just thought it was so beautiful. And it happened to be as the organist came back to fix the organ in the time that he was able to, the first song that was played on their fixed organ was this song, Silent Night. And the organist repairman loved it so much that he shared it with other people. And it eventually got to the king of Prussia who heard it and, and sang along with it too and enjoyed it. And in the span of 22 years, this song had become one of the most popular songs in all of Prussia. This carol that was sung over and over again. Uh, kind of the sad part of it, though, the, the person who wrote it, uh, he didn't live to see the expanse and the spread of the song that God had placed on his heart that silent night. He died at a young age of 40 before it really became the song that it is today with hundreds of translations uh, and sung around the world. And it's just this song that just sits with us. It, it settles us. It's so peaceful, so light. It just brings us in to this Christmas spirit of, of being able to kind of calmly relax, bring in and usher in the Christmas season. And I think it fits with us so well because it is such a peaceful time in, in our season and in our calendar and it's songs like these that echo throughout history that focus Christmas on being about a baby about being a virgin and about Joseph and this family gathered together welcoming in this Christ who is king 
We are in the middle of this series, or I guess the end of the series, The Carols of Christmas, More Than Meets the Ear. And we're talking about some of these favorite songs that we sing and kind of the history about them, but also looking at them a little bit deeper, trying to find out what their significance is and really what we should think of and maybe some things that we can think of. And uh, in the week's previous to this, I'd kind of gone verse by verse with the different songs. I'm just going to tell you a little bit ahead of time that that isn't going to be necessarily the nature of this sermon. We're going to hit a little bit of a curveball that I'm just kind of laying out there in front of you. But uh, what I want us to remember and focus on right now as we are getting into that is looking at the way that our culture handles Jesus. And in so many ways, Jesus has been, especially in our society, kind of minimized. Most of us grew up in a time where you would expect a nativity to be set out in front of a courthouse. You would go to the different places saying, Merry Christmas. You would see all the decorations. It was an expectation that you would go to church. It was an expectation to have that Christmas Eve service, to gather together, to celebrate. Everything is just shut down. Christmas Day as the focus and the centrality of all the songs of all the month is just focused on Jesus, who is the reason for this season, right? But it, through time and through history and through a commercialization of the season, we've kind of minimized in some aspects, in some ways, for some people, I'm not saying all people, but for some people, this season has really been commercialized and minimized. And our society has sometimes gotten to the point where there are people being raised who maybe have questions about what this season really is about. Uh, who is really, truly the focus? And they wonder, and they don't really hear very much about Jesus. They don't know about his history, his connection. They don't know why he came. And in our culture, Jesus is minimized. If you walk into most shopping places, you won't see any nativity scenes. You won't see the name Jesus or Happy Merry Christmas painted on any of the banners. You might see it on a church as you drive by, but for most public places, Jesus has been minimized or commercialized. And so it makes sense that maybe some people, as they're having conversations, who might drive by a church and see Jesus, might have that question of, who is that baby? That might be a conversation some parents have to answer and maybe they see that baby year after year and they start to wonder, why doesn't this baby ever grow? It's the same baby every year in the same place, in the same spot. It's the only connection that they have with it. For some people, we might have trouble processing who Jesus is and what he really means as a baby. Why is there really that significance or that focus put on a baby that was born so long ago? They just kind of get that glimpse every year and they really don't get the context to be able to maximize the focus and the understanding of who Jesus is and what he means to this season. But that's kind of a little bit off track. Let's go back to our uh, silent night verse. And I just want us to read through this again as we look at this hymn and I want you to appreciate and kind of internalize and focus on the words that maybe Jesus has you want to pay attention to what has significance to you as we sing and as we read through these verses let's go ahead and start with verse one it says this silent night holy night all is calm all is bright 
round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. The second verse continues on with silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight, glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. For the third verse, it's silent night, holy night, Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. This song seems pretty simple and straightforward. There you have this holy infant who's tender and mild, sleeping in heavenly peace. We talked about the peacefulness of the song, the calming of this song. As we sing about this Christ who is the Savior is born, it gives us some insight and some foreshadowing into who this person or who this baby is, talking about love's pure light in this radiant beam of his holy face. Maybe you have that imagery of the tapestries that we've seen throughout history of this glowing baby Jesus, these halos surrounding them, the still, calm, quiet, hit back black drop with stars twinkling and it's just this peaceful serene scene and though that is what many songs and many images portray if we talk about the theology of what is really going on in this moment it's not quite accurate because though we sing this picture of this peaceful quiet night as we sing this song there is really more than meets the ear And when we wear different lenses and we hear different things, we can get a different image and a different response to different things that maybe we see or don't see, things that maybe we hear or don't hear. I don't know if you've ever done these tests, but I know that works for dog whistles. And I think there's this test that my kids tried on me. It's one of those apps, you know, you find that video and it plays a sound, supposedly, right? It's like if you're old, that's this old person sound test. When you get older, you can't hear certain things anymore. And they're saying, yeah, I hear this buzz. And you're like, no, I don't hear anything. It's kind of like those dog whistles too, right? You blow on that, it sounds like nothing, but those dogs are quick to listen, I think sometimes it all depends on what we're listening for and how, what we're listening to and what we're looking for and what we're looking at. Sometimes scripture is a lot like that. Someone reads a story or drives past an nativity and they only see something that is peaceful and still and quiet. But there really is a lot more than meets the ear. As you dig into scriptures, you find that there's a lot more happening than what we think. It's not just a peaceful, still, silent night. There is actually a crazy, holy war that is taking place in this moment of Christ's birth. This isn't going to be your typical Christmas morning or Christmas Eve service in text because we're going to turn to Revelation 12. Revelation 12 isn't the Bible story. It's not Luke 2. It's not what we've come accustomed to on our Christmas Eve. But as we look at this verse, Revelation 12, 3 through 4, it paints this picture of what is really going on behind the scenes. It says this, Then 
Another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and it flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. Not really the silent, peaceful night that we are accustomed to. This is a different imagery in so many different ways. But this is truly what is going on in the spiritual realm before the birth of Jesus. This dragon wanted and waited to kill this Christ child who he knew was going to be a threat, who knew he was going to be a danger to his plans, his purpose, and hopefully the things that he wanted to accomplish. But really, to, in order to understand and realize what this dragon is all about and why this is in Scripture, it really isn't something new. This is a story that has been playing out throughout history. We see glimpses of it in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis, when the very first person has this interaction and this dialogue with this enemy. It says this in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and you will be able to nip in the heel of the woman's seed. But that woman's seed will crush your head. It's this moment that the serpent, this dragon, has been waiting for and trying to avoid all this time. Nobody wants their head crushed. Nobody wants their rule to be ended. And so he's been waiting and watching hoping for this moment when this birth is going to take place so it can, too, come in, intercede, interact, and derail the plans that God might have in place for the world to be changed, for the world to be saved, for this prophecy to play out and be true. The entire history of the Old Testament is this dragon and the serpent trying to kill the seed of the women, trying to be there and waiting for this moment, listening to the silent nights, waiting to crash the party, and waiting for things to happen. And so we read in Matthew 15, 20, and 21, where they hear something that perks their ears. As the angel is telling, says, that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. You will bear a child, and he will be called Jesus. And the Lord God shall save unto him the throne of his father David and the kingdom his kingdom there will be no end so in the spiritual realms these are all things that are happening this is causing some chaos this is causing some craziness the person and the thing that is going to end our kingdom is finally here we have to do what we can to stop it we have to be there waiting to destroy it and so in the spiritual realms, it's anything but a silent night. The dragon's desire is to destroy the true seed as it grows. And by the time Jesus is born, the dragon attempts to destroy Jesus. He's silently whispering into the ear of Herod and inspiring this king to kill the other king. And so there's this spiritual happening that is going on beyond the scenes. He's listening to something that isn't in this realm, but is in a spiritual realm. And he's trying to destroy Jesus from the very start. And so Herod carries out this plan, carries out this action for selfish reasons. He doesn't want his kingdom to be destroyed, and neither does the dragon. And so they go on this rampage to 
wipe out anything that might threaten their kingdom because they've heard that it was there in this place. And so we see this dragon attempt to destroy Jesus. And as Jesus avoids and is protected and he gets to grow and become a man, the dragon comes along again and understands that he wasn't able to destroy him in one try. He was going to then try to distract him. It was, you see in Jesus' ministry time and time again, the dragon is the devil, Satan, whatever you want to label it, is trying to distract Jesus from his purpose, from his mission, from the very first time that he's called in the wilderness. He says, you can do anything you want. You can turn this stone into bread. You can take care of your own self. You can look out and see the kingdom and I can make it yours. They will worship you. You can test and see how much power Jesus has. You can jump from the temple. He ties to distract Jesus. He, he brings people into his life he brings things that might cause him to look the other way or question his ministry and so Jesus spends time silently in prayer a lot of the days of his ministry because he's trying to listen to God instead of being distracted by the devil when his plans to destroy and distract don't come true he also tries a different tactic, and Satan is good, and he keeps trying these different things. If he can't destroy us, if he can't destroy, destroy, distract us, then he will try to discredit us. And we see that so many times in Jesus' ministry as he goes and heals people, as he talks about the power of calling out demons. People are trying to discredit him and say, there is no way that you are from God. You are from the enemy. You are from Satan. There's no way that you can heal. They try to discredit the healings that he has as he goes to different places, as he heals on the Sabbath, as he forgives people's sins. Satan does all that he can to discredit who Jesus is because he understands the threat that he is to his kingdom. And so out throughout the, the Gospels, Throughout the Old Testament, we see Satan's attempt to silence Jesus by destroying him, by distracting him, and by discrediting him. It's not until he inspires Judas to betray Jesus that his plan seems to finally work. We see Jesus go to trial where, again, he's discredited, and they finally get the opportunity to put him in that crown and put on that royal robe and to hang him on the cross. And they get to destroy him. They see Jesus hanging on that cross. And they finally think, they have won. I finally got him. And as Jesus is buried in that tomb, that is truly a silent night. And as they wait, another silent night in the spiritual realm, the noise has to be echoing louder and louder. We finally did it. We finally destroyed it because they don't know the plan of God. But on that third day, as the silence breaks with the tomb rolling open and Jesus walking out, all of the spiritual realm would have broke into chaos as they see that Jesus is the victor, that he is the savior that he is the king of kings and that Satan wasn't able to silence him again. And as we look and we hear that story, we might ask those questions or we might wonder, 
because who really thought that Satan could silence Jesus, the Savior in a tomb? It's a st- who would have thought that he could have just assumed that Jesus would have died and never come back to life? But in that moment, as Jesus is raised and he is caught into heaven, we have all of this history that points to this moment right here that is anything but silent, that is anything but quiet. And Jesus reveals himself as undefeated. Jesus reveals himself as undestroyed. Jesus reveals himself as undistracted. And he ascends into the heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God. And he brings the saints with him. And together they celebrate the victory over death. And in that moment, he is able to take down the devil. And he leaves this earth with a new purpose, with a new plan, with new opportunities, with a new chance to be saved. But as Satan oftentimes does when he is defeated, it doesn't always stop him from doing something else to try to mess with God's plans. You see, turning from Jesus, he then tries to turn to us. And so many of us in our world, we are God's precious children And if Satan can't hurt God, he's going to hurt the people that God loves. And so his attention turns to us, not just on Christmas, but throughout time, but especially in this season, as we try to focus on the birth of Jesus and what that means, Satan will do anything he can to do this tactics to you too. Jesus, or Satan, might be trying to destroy you in some way. He might be trying to take away something that is precious to you. He might be trying to distract you. He might be putting things in your life to make you so you can't focus on the reason for the season of who Jesus truly is. He might be trying to discredit you in some way because he is good at doing all of these things. And as we struggle in this season to focus on who Jesus is and we struggle to understand who he is to the world and as we attempt to share the love and the happiness and the joy that this season truly brings, so many people in this world whether in this church, but mostly out of this church, we have to understand are being attacked. So many people, these nights are not silent. They're being destroyed in some way with some type of thing in their life, maybe a sin, maybe an addiction, maybe, maybe family, I don't know. They might be trying to be distracted from coming closer to Christ. They might be being discredited in so many ways of who they are valuing who God is telling them they are. Maybe they're struggling with the realization that they are loved and that they are a child of God. Satan does such a good job of attempting to silence us by destroying us, distracting us, or discrediting us. And today, as you come here, I would hope that you would be open and willing to hear this other truth that is out there, that Jesus loves you and that Jesus cares about you. When Martin Luther was struggling with these attempts of Satan to dissuade or distract him, he shares this story, and he says this. It is said that the devil came to him, and the devil wrote down all of his sins. And for some of us, that might be longer than a Christmas list, right? Writing down all of the sins. Luther says, are you finished? 
He says, no, go get more paper. And Satan brings more paper and he starts continuing writing down these sins of Luther. And Luther again says one more time, are you finished yet? And Satan says, no, there's still more. More paper, please. And he continues to write and he continues to write and he continues to write. And then he says, there's no more. And he says, are all of these the sins that you have written down for me? And he takes and he tears them up and he says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's sin, Son cleanses me of all of these sins. You writing these down do, does nothing because I have been forgiven of every single one of them. Satan attempts to silence us by reminding us of our past, but we can silence him by reminding him of his future, something that's been wisely said by other people that we need to remember when Satan tries to silence us by reminding us of our past, we need to remind him of his future and really ours as well. The Bible says in it that we are overcome by the blood of the lamb. That is who Jesus grew up to be. That's not Jesus in the manger. He grew up to this powerful king who is our savior Jesus grows up into the king of Bethlehem. He grows up into the defeater of the cross. He grows up into the wearer of the crown. That is who Jesus is and what Christmas is all about. And so as we come to the end and the conclusion of this message, I want to offer a time of invitation. Maybe you're struggling with one of those different things. Maybe you are doubting who you are or how God sees you or how important you are. Maybe you're being distracted. Maybe you're being discredited. Maybe you are being destroyed in some way. And maybe you need someone to come pray with you. Maybe you need to pray for some silence in your life that only the joy and the message of Jesus can give. And during this sign, during this time, during this song, if you have anything that you would like to offer up or to pray about, we would just invite you to come forward and allow us to join with you as we pray for the reason of this season. This Jesus being the Savior of all of our lives.